Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show, as well as other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can also save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support Rebel News without spending a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, they say hockey is the best game you can name. Such a shame, then, that thousands of amateur hockey players will be benched this season. And the reason they're in the sin bin as opposed to on the ice? Well, they've chosen not to get vaxxed, and apparently taking such a stance gets you suspended today. Tamara Ugolini has all the details about this egregious policy. And in Winnipeg, a real-life horror story is taking place regarding Monstrosity Burger. You see, this eatery is accommodating those who are not vaxxed, and it has incurred the wrath of the state. The restaurant's owners have been whacked with tens of thousands of dollars in fines, and its liquor license was recently suspended. All of which makes you wonder, who is the real monster in this particular horror story? Lincoln J will try to make sense of it all. And letters, we get your letters, we get them every minute of every day. And you had plenty to say about my commentary regarding PPC leader Maxime Bernier, who was, shockers, unfairly smeared last week by the mainstream media. Yeah, so what else is new? Those are your Rebels, now let's round them up. The GTHL stipulated that anyone born after 2009 and who does not provide proof of vaccination or a signed medical exemption on doctor office letterhead would no longer be eligible to participate in any sanctioned activity until they do so. It's important to note that GTHL does say that they'll make reasonable accommodation as per the Ontario Human Rights Code. But oddly enough, at the time of my report, the link to begin the accommodation process was currently still being developed. This left many parents who are concerned over the heavy-handed mandate in the dark and confused, which, I mean, it seems to be the way with government-imposed health orders. 
Except that this isn't an order from the provincial government. Nope. The leagues are going above and beyond that mandate. And since the league didn't respond to my repeated attempts at seeking clarification, we have literally no answers to the questions I posed. So anyway, hockey dad Joe Anajar joined me and we discussed the massive support he's received from parents who are concerned about this directive in all youth sports leagues going above and beyond the provincial government's order. Just look at this one petition specific to the GTHL. It has over 9,000 signatures. And because of donations to Fight Vaccine Passports, that's our civil liberties initiative housed by the registered charity called the Democracy Fund, where your donations now qualify for a tax receipt, we were able to act quickly on behalf of these not at all at risk children and their concerned parents and fire off a legal threat letter to the Ontario Hockey Federation. That's the OHF, who is the governing body for amateur hockey in Ontario. We don't have time to waste. This mandate is coming into effect now, and some of the youth affected are in their draft year. We can't wait months for court filings. We have to act now. Let's go through parts of the letter together. On September 15th, 2021, we sent a demand letter to Philip McKee, who is the executive director for the OHF. Now, it's six pages total, so I'm going to highlight the most important parts, but we have made this letter available for your viewing in the description below. The lawyer, Lisa Bildy, notes that the league is ignoring the return to hockey framework directive that this vaccination policy be recommended but optional and are instead substituting coercive, overbroad, and heavy-handed policies, which will result in the removal of potentially thousands of minor hockey players from their leagues this season. Bildi then highlights the current Ontario Provincial Regulation 645-21 that exempts youth sports from the vaccine mandate requirement, then gives an example from the Alliance Hockey League's policy that mandates players be vaccinated or denied the ability to play. Based off of that policy, Bildi also states that there is no undue hardship for the association to accommodate players who do not wish to be vaccinated for any reason whatsoever, given that there are no laws requiring minors to be vaccinated, to participate in youth sports, or attend school, and are at no greater risk to the public or the players themselves in playing hockey unvaccinated than in any other setting, including school. We describe a situation where a 12-year-old submitted a medical exemption from his neurologist. Well, folks, as Stomp and Tom Connors used to proclaim, hockey is the best game you can name. Too bad that this season, thousands of wannabe shinny stars will be confined to the penalty box, unable to take part in our national winter sport, thanks to not getting the COVID-19 jabs. And that is offside in my book. Joining me now for more on this sad story is Tamara Ugolini. How you doing there, Tamara? Hey, David. Well, I would be a lot better if we weren't coercing our adolescents into an experimental injection, but I'm all right. Anyway, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I concur with your thoughts. I hate what's happening right now. But, you know, Tamara, as you mentioned in your report, there is no undue hardship whatsoever for the various amateur hockey leagues to accommodate unvaccinated players. So my questions are, why is there undue hardship being created in the first place? And 
by the way, whatever happened to that concept known as, you know, reasonable accommodation? Mm -hmm. Well, as we've seen from the Ontario Human Rights Commission, the, they seem to be epically failing people in upholding that right to have reasonable accommodation. And the fact that the leagues are going above and beyond the provincial requirements, uh, that wording, the undue hardship wording, wasn't my own. That actually came out of the demand letter that was sent out by the lawyer that we've retained to represent this group of concerned hockey parents uh, to send out to the Ontario Hockey Federation on behalf of all the leagues that fall under their umbrella organization. The fact that they're going above and beyond the provincial mandate is egregious. There's no data or science to back it up. And so I think that the letter speaks for itself, which you can find under the description of my legal update report. You know, and Tamara, I can't help but think about the hypocrisy involved here. Um, if we look at the professional sports leagues, um, it came out this week that more than 10% of NBA players have absolutely no plans to get vaccinated. And yet there's going to be an exemption for them. I, I don't know why, maybe because they're mm -hmm. multimillionaire elite athletes. And yet, my friend, if you and I were to go to Scotiabank Arena in Toronto and watch a Raptors game, just as spectators sitting there, we have to be double jabbed just to get in the doors. Yet the athletes who are playing a hard game of basketball, so you've got um, sweat, you've got saliva going all over the place, they don't necessarily have to be double jabbed. So how do you make sense of this, Tamara, from a scientific point of view? Well, once again, hypocrisy is the new normal, and it reminds me of Patrick Brown, right? You did extensive reporting <laughs> on him uh, over the course of the last 18 months, or I guess that was last last hockey season, where he was allowed to play hockey with all of his friends while your children were shuttered out of the good old hockey game. Um, I just can't make sense of it, but I hope that as more of these uh, public figures come forward and take a stand against it, maybe, just maybe, we stand a chance of the House of Cards coming down. But, I mean, to put these youth, especially young adolescent males, at risk for myocarditis and pericarditis, especially as they go out onto the, the ice to exert themselves and work out their heart, this is a potentially very dangerous thing that we're doing to these young men. And, and Tamara, let's talk about that because I find this very disturbing. As you mentioned, young adolescent males they, there can be such a terrible adverse reaction uh, to these vaccines. Um, why isn't this being taken into consideration, especially when we know that the younger you are, the more immune you are uh, to COVID-19, the faster you recover if you get it. Certainly the symptoms are often uh, cold or flu-like and then it's gone. Why isn't this being taken into consideration? I can only imagine the heartbreak parents would have if they took an otherwise healthy adolescent male, had them jabbed, and they got severely sick or even worse, died from this vaccine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I think that a lot of, of reactions are just being entirely swept under the rug. If you followed my reports from Dr. Patrick Phillips, who was having all of his adverse reaction reports uh, being disregarded by his medical officer of health and not making it into our adverse report system, to my recent interview with Dr. Byron Bridal, where he says natural immunity is superior. 
why aren't we testing people to find out if or if they are naturally immune? And if they are, then it actually increases their risk of, of an adverse reaction to the vaccine because they already have those antibodies being made in their, within their immune system. Um, and I actually will have a report out, I think, tomorrow or the next day of a, a healthy 16-year-old boy who developed pericarditis post-second Pfizer injection. And so you can find out about his story. And I'm also following the lead on a data analysis who has taken public health's raw epidemiological data and has found the risk of myocarditis and pericarditis in age group, I think it was 12 to 29 is outrageously high and no one's paying attention to it, especially as they try to start rolling this out in the five to 11 year olds. I mean, this is criminal in my opinion. I, I totally concur with you, Tamara. And you know, how can we even address this situation when we're prevented by the censorious thugs in Silicon Valley from even discussing it? As you know, earlier this week, YouTube enhanced their censorship rules when it comes to having a contrarian opinion or even a discussion about uh, the COVID-19. Uh, so the likes of Dr. Phillips, uh, you know, he can't even exist on that platform. And to me, this is egregious because this could be a matter of life and death to otherwise healthy individuals who are very young. Yeah, absolutely. It's a dangerous precedent. And so I'm, I hope that as the courts start to open back up, uh, we can start to get some litigation going underway there. I don't know how else to stop it. I mean, I know that if everyone comes together and says no and stops complying, that's the quickest way to get out of this. But it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. So what we're left with is a prolonged process in the courts. Um, but if, if, if doctors are being censored from speaking out, it's really dangerous territory that we're living in. And, you know, uh, and contrary uh, to any kind of uh, grace period being allowed, I live in York Region, Tamara, and, you know, on Wednesday, Dr. Kareem Kurji, who is stepping down, he's going into retirement, he dropped a stink bomb. Less than 48 hours notice, all indoor facilities in York Region, so we're talking about hockey rinks, we're talking about martial arts schools, we're talking about dance studios. For teens age 12 to 17, you've got to be double jabbed. Same with the officials, same with the spectators, same with the parents. And I mean, Tamara, give me a break. Two days notice to get this done, there's still tryouts happening. I, I don't know why this was implemented without any kind of grace uh, period. But I think when, when we get out of this COVID nonsense, it might be months, it might be years ahead, I think we have to have a serious look, an inquiry even, at how these public health officials who are unelected and non-accountable are making these rules that are really ruining and perhaps destroying some lives. Last word goes to you, Tamara. Absolutely, I agree. And I think that the public health officials need to start showing their work. They come out and they spew all of this jargon and they don't have to back it up and they don't get automatically labeled as spreading misinformation or, or disinformation, no matter how wrong they continue to be. And that is a, is a real injustice here because as we see them flip-flopping on the masks, the one dose, the two dose, the boosters, the you can mix doses, you can't mix doses, this dose is safe for this age. 
it is all just mind boggling that they can get away with this unscathed. I agree. It is scandalous. And uh, Tamara, let me tell you, you are doing absolutely superb work on this file. Keep fighting to get the truth out there, my friend. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. You got it. And that was Tamara Ugolini in Coburg, Ontario. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Lincoln J for Rebel News here in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Now behind me, Monstrosity Burger. You may remember Monstrosity Burger from a report we did last week. They're one of the only establishments in Winnipeg that we know of that is taking a stand against the vaccine passport system we are seeing all across Canada. They are simply saying they don't want anything to do with it. With that has come some consequences. Now, just like I said in my report, they've received $60,000 worth of fines for not following these mandates. On top of that they've had their liquor license removed and they've had a closure notice for indoor dining as you can see people are gathered here in support and if you're like the brave owners of monstrosity burger and you're taking a stand against proof of vaccination mandates let us know at we won't ask.com we'll report your story we'll give you one of our stickers to show the public that you are not discriminating against people based on their vaccination status we're going to talk to some more people here and find out exactly why they're here to support Monstrosity Burger. Let's take a look. Okay, so it's absolutely packed here. People are waiting in line. You have a closure notice for indoor dining, but clearly you're still getting tons of support. Uh, do you want to just tell us what's going on here today? Yeah, we're just having like a get together for everyone to come pick up food and we're gonna have some music outside and just get the community together. And we're just happy to be able to do that. Yeah, there was a bunch of rallies today and it looks like everybody ended up here. And I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that comes. It's um, just an amazing day. How does it feel having this kind of support from everybody? I know you guys have been through quite a bit, $60,000 in fines now. You had your liquor license recently pulled also. With all that going on, how does it feel that all these people have your back? Oh, it's just so amazing to bring the community together. Like We just can see that everyone's kind of like on the same page, obviously, and we want freedom for everybody. My heart just is, I don't know what to say. It's just crazy. Yeah, it just feels really good. I understand since the last time we spoke, uh, there's been a bit of an update. They uh, pulled your liquor license, correct? Yep. The following day um, after we were served to close our indoor dining, they came and pulled our liquor license. So now we're dealing with that. What's going on here today? Well, today we, uh, the owners, uh, Dave and Paulina, really wanted to show their gratitude to those that are supporting us the way they are. Oh, we're here to support Paulina and Dave and this amazing establishment and everything they represent. Exactly. We're here to support a business owner, two of them, in their endeavor to show other business owners that all you lack is the courage to stand against these health orders and open up your business. I am out here to support the people who are against mandatory vaccination. Supporting Monstrosity Burger and everyone here, man, pro-choice. Wow, did you hear what that fellow had to say, folks? Pro-choice? I remember when pro-choice was a good thing, especially when it came to the oh-so-tolerant loving left. Or does pro-choice in this day and age of COVID-19 only apply to the termination of a baby's life? Because it would seem that in 2021, the saying, my body, my choice, has perversely devolved into your body, government's choice, 
and thanks to draconian measures to enforce nonsensical bylaws, hardworking entrepreneurs such as Dave and Paulina Jones, the co-owners of Monstrosity Burger, are indeed paying a hefty price. And joining me now with more on this story is our ace photojournalist, Lincoln Jay. How you doing there, Lincoln? Good, thanks for having me on, David. Always a pleasure. Lincoln, what we saw in your video, it was heartwarming. Um, all the solidarity, the people jamming the restaurant, jamming the parking lot, nothing but good vibes. The question, my friend, is this, uh, is, it, is there enough there to prevent Monstrosity Burger from you know surrendering to the tyranny of the government over sixty thousand dollars in fines the loss of a liquor license how low will this government go when it comes to making this eatery an example <clears throat> well it's like you saw in in my report the the only option they have right now for service is takeout and delivery mm. right so they've had they have a closure notice for indoor dining so no one's allowed to eat inside the restaurant now their liquor license is pulled so even if people were allowed to eat inside or i guess they can't serve booze at all through takeout now so really it only leaves them the option with takeout and on top of that they now have so they got another fine since my last report so that's sixty five thousand dollars worth sixty five sixty five so Really, the only other thing they, that the uh, the law enforcement can do in Winnipeg is simply lock the doors so that they can't go in at all. Because other than that, they're really just, it's basically like they're in a lockdown setting yeah. by only being able to serve takeout. But as you saw in the video, uh, people, the word's gotten out that uh, they are taking uh, the stance that they are. So they're getting lots of support and uh, I think that they'll, it's unprecedented, so we don't know where this is going to end up, if they'll get that liquor license back, et cetera. But uh, for the time being, I think they're going to be okay. You know, Lincoln, I'm just wondering, though, because we saw back in November, you were uh, Johnny on the spot at Adamson Barbecue, um, Adam Skelly, the great Canadian barbecue rebellion. Uh, the patients ran out on day three. Literally, all the king's horses and all the king's men came charging in. Adam Skelly handcuffed, stuffed in a cruiser, a night in the cooler. Um, that was the city, I think, making an example out of Adam Skelly, just saying to everybody else out there, if you have the temerity to do what he's doing, how do you like being on the six o'clock news? How do you like being thrown in jail? Could this potentially happen to Monstrosity Burger? As you mentioned, $65,000 in fines, um, the, the liquor license taken away. I'm just wondering what other weapons are in the quiver of the state. Yeah, so I guess, like I said, it's unprecedented in Winnipeg, at least, like we saw with uh, Adam Skelly is he just kept doing it anyways, right? After they, I believe they gave him similar kind of notice for, a, although we were in lockdown at the time, they gave him another closure notice for indoor dining, right? So he repeatedly went against what, I guess, bylaw or John Tory was saying at yeah. the time, right? So... For the time being, it seems like the owners at Monstrosity Burger, they're not going to uh, open up their dining room. Uh, that's just a as it is right now. They're operating through takeout and delivery. So I guess really we're going to have to wait and see. But I wouldn't be surprised if they did follow through with it. If, let's say, tomorrow they open up their restaurant, uh, who knows? Because uh, 
like I said, there isn't many other restaurants in Winnipeg that are taking this this route, so it could very well be that they would make an example out of them, but right now, we don't know. Well, in a sense, can you blame them, Lincoln? I mean, 65 grand. I mean, you know, uh, in another life, I covered the food service industry. I think this is the hardest business in the world to make a living. Uh, I believe it's 80% of startup restaurants fail in the first three years of operation. Who needs tens of thousands of dollars of fines? But, and yet my heart goes out to the operators of Monstrosity Burger. I mean, they're in the business of hospitality, not hostility. You expect the hostess to welcome you into the restaurant with a smile, not your papers, please. I mean, once upon a time, it was against the law to ask somebody what their medical status was. This is crazy to me. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And on top of that, so if you're a ho if you're a host or a hostess now, and you're greeting someone at the door, a lot of small restaurants too, they don't even have a host or a hostess, right? It'll be servers that are just swinging around the restaurant, and they'll greet somebody and sit them down. It's more so chain restaurants and stuff that have hosts and hostesses. But nonetheless, it's now another. Uh, you know, another duty, another role for these uh, employees of the restaurant. And uh, it's nothing that they signed up for. It's basically making them government workers in a sense. Yeah, right? uh, they, they're making, uh, the government's making them uh, take on the role of bylaw or law enforcement, or for that matter, the hostess is now the bouncer, right? Yeah. You know, and you can imagine, it uh, must be happening, we have, we've seen reports of it, of really bad verbal uh, confrontations. And to me, it, it's so lose-lose. I have a lot of uh, patience for those who are not vaccinated, who want to eat indoors. I also, my heart goes out to the restaurant sector. For a year and a half, they've been just whacked by all these closure orders, uh, Lincoln. Um, and you'd think that this is the time for them to welcome as many customers into their eateries as possible. And the government's going, no, 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 we want you to pick and choose. That's not right. Exactly, and the customers, um, a lot of these customers, maybe they are people that are unvaccinated, they're, you know, they're the people that were supporting these restaurants when we were locked down. Remember when it was all yeah. about ordering from restaurants, ordering takeout from restaurants? That was the big push, right, to help these small businesses. And now they want these business owners, you know, ones that aren't following this stance of enforcing vaccine passports. They want them now to turn away these people that were that have, that have had their back for the past uh, what is it, 19 months? Yeah, now. you know what? That is an excellent point. It's much like for months the narrative was thank you frontline workers and now we have hundreds of healthcare workers being fired from a healthcare system that is already frayed at the seams if you believe what you read um it's funny how the um you know, the, the tables change so quickly yeah. uh, in terms of the what have you done lately uh, for me department. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Like, yeah. You know, we're having parades, celebrations, we're absolutely saluting frontline workers, right? And now, again, these same people, you know, that the government has been pushing to, and like, we should be we should be praising them right but now they're firing the same yeah. people that we were praising because they're not taking a shot i don't know everything like we've said many times everything just seems backwards and and who's doing the firing lincoln it is uh the governments it is uh the bureaucrats it is the public health authorities we've been told since this pandemic began um we're all in this together but None of those people I just mentioned, they haven't lost one single day's worth of pay, have they? 
nothing. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, one last question. Uh, they're reduced to takeout and delivery. Can they make a go of it? As in, will they survive? Yes. I think they, if, if the support continues the way it has been, the way we've seen in the video, because not just that day in that video where we saw tons of people outside the restaurant, it's been like that. They've had lineups outside for takeout. So Fantastic. Hopefully the tide just keeps rolling and uh, they can make it through. Who knows? Maybe. Let's just pray that these passports maybe disappear. I don't know if that's going to happen, but yeah. if that's the case, maybe everything, they'll be fine. But let's see what happens. I hope you're right. That's great report, Lincoln. And what can I tell you, folks? I mean, it may be called Monstrosity Burger. The monsters in this story are those in government and law enforcement and bylaw that are bringing grief to this couple, just trying to make an, an honest living. It is just despicable, and I hope things get back to normal uh, for them and it does not go down the route of Adamson Barbecue. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Oh my God, Canada has apparently experienced its day of infamy. Oh, what is it this time you say? Well, PPC leader Maxime Bernier has allegedly assaulted and doxxed members of the beloved media party. <laughs> well, sort of. By way of explanation, Bernier had mentioned three mainstream media reporters in a tweet calling them idiots and describing their efforts to question him as disgusting smear jobs. He then made note of their email addresses and urged supporters to give them a piece of their minds. This apparently is doxing. Yeah, except that it isn't. Doxing would be sending out the home addresses of those journalists, something Bernier would never do, and he didn't do. He distributed email addresses that are already publicly available. I mean, why would a journalist want to keep his or her email secret? You want to be accessible to sources and whistleblowers and your own audience, right? As for the assaults, well, those would be written assaults. Now, granted, some of the emails sent by some PPC supporters were vile indeed, from rape threats to comments that reeked of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. Those emails are indeed despicable and need to be condemned. But these emails were not sent out by Mr. Bernier. By the way, folks, you should see the email garbage we receive here at Rebel. For months, there was some crazy individual who always prefaced his attack on me by stating, quote, how can we trust anything David Menzies says, given that he is a convicted pedophile, end quote. You know, I didn't go running to the Canadian Association of Journalists. Rather, I laughed at the perverse absurdity of it, and I moved on. Oh, and of course, going to the CAJ would be a fool's errand. They only stand up for the offended MSM types. Remember when my colleague Sheila Gunn-Reed was physically assaulted at a feminist rally in Edmonton by a pathetic soy boy named Dion Buse? Yeah. Ezra LeVant, fuck you. Okay, so wouldn't you say that it would be feminine? No, 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 I'm just asking you a question. Do I seem unreasonable to you? Yes, Because I seem really pleasant. I think, am I coming across as pleasant right now? Yeah, absolutely. We're just trying to have a conversation here. I'm having, I'm trying to have a conversation Go with you. Go away. Get out of my fucking face. I will break your camera. You do not have the right to. Whoa!
Whoa! Guys, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Don't have the right to film before you go. Yes, she does. Just she like. Guy, dude, you just hey, hit guys, me in the face. No, don't. Hey, don't tell me to calm down. I'm not telling you. Yeah, you guys should move away. You deserve to be angry. You deserve to be angry. Yeah. I'm not angry. 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 No con condemnation by the CAJ there. And later, a puff piece was broadcast by the CBC about this jabroni's guitar shop. Unbelievable. Naturally, Bernier's Twitter account was suspended by the Silicon Valley censor for some 12 hours. Twitter said in a media statement that Bernier's tweets violated the company's private information policy. Oh, well, of course it did, just like President Donald Trump's did. Meanwhile, Twitter dare not suspend the accounts of terrorist groups and terrorist-friendly regimes. That might be um, culturally insensitive. Then CBC Radio Canada issued a press release offering support to journalists who have become the subject of online harassment because of the work they do. Quote, it should be obvious to all Canadians that this harassment is unacceptable behavior. When the incitement to harass journalists comes from public figures, it is even worse. Criticism comes with the job, but online harassment, particularly inciting others to attack someone for doing their job, puts the safety of people at risk. That the worst of this abuse targets women and racialized journalists should make clear just how dangerous this is, end quote. Why does CBC always make it about race? Ah, oh, the poor little snowflakes in the media party. Oh, so sensitive taxpayer-funded spirit unicorns who melt away when confronted with any criticism. Let us all engage in a moment of silence for these sad sack sluggos. Actually, let's not. In any event, you had plenty to say about yet another smear job perpetrated against Maxime Bernier that was driven by a political agenda as opposed to anything based in fact. <coughs> Steve Botham writes, Bernier released the names of reporters who wrote bogus stories and signed their names to the stories, then made said stories public by having them published, so no doxing there. Also listed their work email addresses, which can be found sometimes alongside their names at the bottom of their hit pieces. Other times they are available on the website directories for their individual companies. So all info he posted in his tweet was publicly available and did not dox anyone, unlike the maggots that work in the left-wing media who dox people all the time. Well, you know what? You got it right, Steve. Despite the hysterics, no actual crime was committed here. And I remember when the late, great Rob Ford was mayor of Toronto, the media jackals literally camped outside his home simply to harass and intimidate him. Talk about doxing, indeed. Smokin' writes, I voted conservative my entire life. Maxime is the first politician I donated to. He is the first person to make me vote non-conservative. He is the first politician I went to at a rally. 
O'Toole is a liar and a weakling pandering fool. He will never have my vote. Maxine is honest and true to his word, even if some don't like it. Maxine has integrity and has earned respect. I'll never forget that. Well, Smokin', I have this to say. I have zero doubt that there are thousands and thousands of ex-conservatives right across Canada who feel exactly the way you do, thanks to the heaping double helping of such testicular challenge leaders as Andrew Scheer and Aaron O'Toole, or as I like to call them, dumb and dumber. Tommy Crusher writes, the Canadian Liberal Party of Canada funded fake news factories need to be defunded. Well, the fact is, Tommy uh, Crusher, defunding the CBC is indeed a major PPC policy plank, which more or less explains why the CBC detests Mr. Bernier. And finally, Chris Van Slyke writes, the question sent by the journalist to the PPC I would consider them to be harassment. They went to a radical left-wing ideologue who clearly has a beef with any position right of Marxism who labels the PPC as supportive of and representative of hate-motivated white supremacists. Constantly asking Bernier to respond to smears that are clearly and explicitly against their written policies would be offensive to anyone. Shame on those journalists for being harassers, then complaining of the harassment they get in return. Well, well said, Chris, and I can tell you, I thought the most appalling moment regarding the inherent bias of the MSM when it comes to Bernier and the PPC came courtesy of Alan Carter on AM640 Toronto, a newly woke radio station that lingers at the bottom of the ratings heap thanks to its corporate masters, Global News. In any event, on the Alan Carter show on the Friday before the election, the topic was the unexpected surge in the polls by the PPC. That's definitely a good topic. But get this, folks, the guest Carter interviewed to give insight on this surge in popularity was Dr. Barbara Perry, the director of the Center on Hate, Bias, and Extremism. What the hell? Um, it's the PPC we're talking about here, not the KKK. You know, Bernier's nickname is Mad Max. Can you blame him for being angry? given the mainstream media garbage he has to deal with on a seemingly never-ending basis. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.